After recently joining Wikimedia Foundation, Grant Ingersoll, the foundation's CTO, is learning on the job each and every day. As the leader of a 120-person team, his opportunities to gain new knowledge from those around him are never-ending. Grant shares what he has found out so far and how that has helped him grow into his role. Plus, he gives us some insights about what project he and his team are working on and why he has a deep love for data. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have on the other line, Grant, what's going on? Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to great to have you on. We are super excited to talk about Wikimedia. Um, I think it's something we all we all know, but we get to dive under the hood a little bit, uh, or peek under the hood, maybe perhaps. So we're going to get into that and all things your background. So first, how did you get started in technology in the first place? Yeah, thanks, and again, happy to be here. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think a lot of uh, like a lot of people in technology. It started when I was a kid. Uh, I can remember the old days of my dad and my sister bringing home uh, either a computer from work or from school. And and like uh, I, I think many of us, my whole goal at the time was to play video games. And so I had to dig in and kind of figure out how, how the heck these things work so I could play the video games that I wanted. And then uh, I actually didn't really kick in until college. And I'm, I'm forever in debt to a good friend of mine who said to me, hey, Grant, I think you should take this computer programming class. Because I originally went to school thinking I was going to be either a mathematician or an economist, believe it or not. And he said, take this computer class. I did. I fell in love. And, uh, you know, here 20 some years later, still, still doing what I love. That's remarkable. I love how video games were like an early building block for so many of the folks that we talked to on the show. Do you have a favorite game? Uh, well, back in the day, I mean, it was basically anything I could get to run. <laughs> um, you know, these days, uh, Tetris is still a good old standby and, and uh, I'll probably forever be a, civ, a civilization addict, but uh, <laughs> don't, get, don't have as much time to play these days as I used to. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that makes sense uh, because you've been just uh, just a short amount of time in a new role as CTO of Wikimedia Foundation, and I'm so curious, what is the scope of your responsibilities there? Yeah, that's right. I've, I think I'm going on week six. And, and so even knowing what the full scope is, is still uh, something I'm, I'm uncovering. But, you know, with, with large swaths, you know, ultimately Wikimedia as a foundation is supporting all of the various wiki projects out there that many of our, your listeners are familiar with. Uh, English Wikipedia probably being the most well-known and the one most people think of when they, when they hear Wikipedia or, or Wikimedia. Uh, you know, so my team, I run about a 120 person team and we're really focused on a lot of the backend infrastructure that goes to, into supporting both that end user experience that I think all of us as users of Wikipedia experience 
as well as plumbing to make that all run, right? So uh, within my team, I have uh, site reliability engineers, I have machine learning engineers, I have researchers, we have people who work on the core infrastructure of all of those moving parts that go into the, the foundation's website. I have uh, technical evangelists who go out and, and show people how to take advantage of the open source that we publish. We have security teams, folks working on things like censorship and privacy and, and a whole host of other things. I'm probably not doing it even justice given the amount of things I've, I've been amazed that this team takes on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a massive part of society now, right? I mean, it's so funny to think of this amazing uh, behemoth of, uh, of crowdsourced thoughts. And I remember back in the day when you weren't allowed to cite Wikipedia uh, for anything because the, our teachers were like, it's all made up. And then now, you know, flash forward to today and it's, you know, I feel like it's essential. Why were you so excited to join the team? Yeah, well, I mean, in, in many ways, you you hit you hit the nail on the head there. Of it, it's essential to the infrastructure of the internet, and and honestly, I wasn't even looking. I had started a company called LucidWorks, uh, been there twelve years, and and was happily cruising along. Uh, albeit, you know, the company has grown, and you know, like I think many founders, you reach a point where you know you're like, okay, do I keep doing this thing, or should I look for something new? And Oddly enough, just happened to be a recruiter who caught my attention in, a, in an email. Uh, and I almost hate to say that, right? Because I think we all get so many recruiting emails that we're sometimes tired of them. But I was like, yeah, I kind of have to take that one. And, and, you know, it started off at first with my background is in search and machine learning and natural language processing. And, and, and just, you know, reflecting on where I was at in my career, I was like, I've spent this whole lifetime, at least at least the last 15 years, working on these, this problem of helping people better understand information. And so when Wikimedia showed up in my inbox, I was like, well, yeah, like that's, that's the penultimate, right? Like that's the, that's the pinnacle of information sharing and information synthesis. And, and so the combination of the sheer size and scope of the technology combined with the mission and then combined with, you know, what I've especially come to discover even since this, this amazing community that of, of volunteers who contribute so much so that the rest of us have this incredible resource. And so, you know, I mean, what better place to bring all those things together? And, and, and so, yeah, it was like, <laughs> work my way through the gauntlet of interviews and, and here we are. Uh, and it's, it's, it's everything I, I thought it would be. And, and then some. Did you kind of feel like you were uniquely positioned for this role? Like it kind of seems like, like you're saying that a bunch of the different pieces throughout your career, you know, have kind of led you to, to this company, to this role, to this organization. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, there's a lot of brilliant people out there. So to say I'm uniquely positioned, that that's, I don't know that I, w I would go that far. I mean, I think right timing, right place, and mostly good skill overset. You know, it was interesting, right? Because, uh, well, a lot of my background was uh, uh, in search and, and knowledge management and information gathering and dissemination. 
there's this whole other side to the role. And, and I was, it was actually a really interesting interview process for me because there was this whole other part of what we do that I really haven't spent a lot of time on. I, I'd worked with clients who run large sites, but I had never personally run the ops side of a house. I mean, I, I know inherently like, you know, what SREs do and I know, you know, roughly the tools that are used and kind of the day to day that goes into things like on call rotations and all that. But that was, you know, and I was, I was upfront about it. It was like, Hey, I've, I, I feel comfortable on the open source side. I feel comfortable on the, the search and machine learning and knowledge side, but this operations side of it, you know, like that's a, that's a piece I'm going to have to learn a lot on. And, and that, that actually was part of what excited me as well is there was this new thing that I could uh, sink my teeth into. And that was a real eye opener from just a career perspective of being at a position where there's like this whole nother field of technology where I haven't spent a lot of time. And so that was, that's been awesome just to see, especially here at the foundation, like how we do so much with uh, what, many people in this field would find uh, surprising the number of people that actually run the, the top five website that is uh, Wikipedia. I do want to get into that a little bit about kind of Wikimedia internal, because I, I agree. I think people would be surprised. And I think, you know, you're talking about, like you said, the top, top five website and it kind of speaks to the incredible uh, structure that it was built on. And what does innovation look like internally? Like I know, and I know this is, you know, I know this, you're, you're new to the job, but, um, you know, being there for, for the last six weeks, you know, are you responsible for the employee experience and and empowering those employees to, you know, build tech and to create tech, but also, you know, how to, how to work operationally or kind of what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like under, underneath we, as a, a nonprofit, you know, provide a lot, a chunk of the infrastructure that goes into helping service this community. So first and foremost, our, our job is to, to provide services out to the rest of this community who can then go and, and build the, the knowledge. So a lot of times we talk about it as knowledge infrastructure, right? It's things like search engines and machine learning tools and DevOps pipelines and data pipelines and and kind of the, the plumbing and infrastructure of, if you will, of a knowledge infrastructure, right? And so, you know, ultimately, yeah, I, I have both strategic technical responsibilities of helping set the long-term vision around technology, as well as, you know, running a 120 or so person engineering team, which has uh, engineers, data scientists, researchers, program managers, scrum masters, kind of all the things that you would expect out of, uh, out of an engineering organization. So it's, you know, it's a mix of technical skills, C-level skills, uh, people management skills at the end of the day. I want to get into security a little bit for Wikimedia, obviously, you know, security is, is changing extremely fast. What does security look like uh, for Wikipedia? Yeah, it's, that, that's a really great question. And one that is, I'm, I'm still evolving to understand on, you know, I, you know, five, maybe 10 years back, I think maybe the security team was, was pretty small. We've, we've grown in and invested in a lot of that. You know, I think for the long time, the foundation is, has benefited from the, the good nature of people. But, you know, clearly in the, the times we're in, 
you know, those are getting more and more challenging. And so we have to continue to invest to, to match wits with what's, what's happening, right? So, you know, like any large website, we can be targets. And, you know, people those bad actors can come from a lot of different ways. And so, you know, we obviously look a lot at the technical aspects of security, but we also dig in a lot on the social aspects. Given the fact that we support a large community of actual people, we take their security and privacy very seriously. We want to make sure that people who want to contribute and can freely contribute. We want to make sure that people who want to read and consume our content can freely do that as well. And so that means, you know, we are constantly evaluating the security and privacy aspects of the platform. I think, you know, we, we spend a lot of time helping evolve standards there. We're often at the forefront uh, with other people, you know, who are similarly inclined and, and share our goals around security and privacy, as well as other large websites who, are, you know, again, are just constantly battling bad actors, whether those are, you know, your average teenage hacker all the way through to, you know, state sponsored bad actors, et cetera. Right. So it, it's a whole mix of techniques ranging from, like I said, technical to social. And, and that part's been fascinating to see and really proud of some of the work that the team's done there uh, on all fronts is again, especially given the size and scope of what we do. I think all of our listeners really want to know how do you combat against the, uh, people when, you know, somebody uh, on Monday Night Football throws four interceptions and somebody changes their Wikipedia page to uh, to something to, to be funny so they can screenshot and send it out. How are you combating those people? Those are the real, the anarchists in our, in our society. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, you know, those folks are at least doing it in good nature. Uh, there's, there's others who, who aren't so uh, uh, nicely inclined. But, you know, I mean, I think this is where, this is the beauty of the community. And one thing that I still sit in awe of when I, when I look at what we're, what we're trying to help people do. I mean, I, we look at this as we're deploying tools that help humans be more effective at the things they're, they're doing. So we, we're obviously like many security companies and or large internet companies trying to leverage artificial intelligence techniques like machine learning and natural language processing to, to understand our content better, to help fight, you know, what you're describing, vandalism, to help fight bad actors. Here again, though, like we, we take a human in the loop approach, uh, as you might imagine, as a community built off of this incredible crowdsourcing model is we look at is how do we help people identify and, and fix those things as quickly as possible. So I'm constantly amazed at, at how quickly, you know, those kinds of things get caught and flagged, right? You know, the ones where it's, you know, people swearing or using bad language, you know, those tools uh, are quite effective. Some of the things like you're talking, there's obviously more nuance there. But, you know, there's those pages are actively watched by a lot of people and and things get reverted pretty quickly. It's then how do we enable that to happen more efficiently? How do we make sure we're not burning out the people who care the most about these pages, this data. And so, you know, we look to provide, provide tooling that helps fight that, fight the vandals as well as fight the fatigue that comes from battling the vandals. I like that they're called vandals because that's, that's what they are. Some people just want to watch the world burn, you know, 
But no, I mean, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, though, I, I think one of the things that is so surprising, I think there's, you know, there's some often some scuttlebutt about the nature of discourse on the internet, but it kind of feels like Wikipedia is like the shining example of right of that so many people are invested in making sure that the truth is out there, um, making sure that things are correct, taking ownership of those things. Do you kind of feel a sense of like an importance that you kind of need to make sure that you are innovating to make sure you get it right, to be able to see those type of threats? And how do you kind of like, how have you went into the role thinking about like, okay, I need to make sure that, you know, this is around that our technology is is staying at the cutting edge for the next 20 years. Um, I'm just curious how you kind of think, thought through that going into the role. Yeah. I mean, 20 years is a high bar, uh, but you know, certainly uh, it's a great question. I think one, everybody in the foundation and the community takes really seriously the challenge of disinformation, of vandalism, of, you know, that I think we all recognize as a problem, you know, in, in the information age is, is a constant battle. You know, I mean, 20 years ago, we were all talking about spam. Spam's still a problem, but it's, it's evolved and translated in many ways. These days, you know, I think you see more and more governments involved in this kind of thing. Obviously, journalism yeah. is, is a big part of it. You know, we take that really seriously. I think, you know, you look at some of the tools that we've deployed over the years. I mean, I think we've had means for deploying bots for quite some time in our tech stack and, and bot here being a, you know, what I might call either a lightweight version of some machine learning tools all the way up through more recently, you know, something that just does like good old fashioned regular expressions or, or checks for very specific types of edits or, or checks against things like blacklists and whitelists, et cetera. Um, all the way through to, you know, recently we deployed a, a tool we called ORS, uh, it stands for Objective Revision Evaluation Service, which is kind of a fancy name for many of the edits on at least the more popular uh, heavily trafficked sites flow through this system and get it evaluated for, you know, these questions. You can kind of think of it as effectively a classification engine built on machine learning techniques. And we use that tool to then provide the community back with a list of pages that we think have quality issues that have vandalism issues. And in fact, it's a service that anybody in the community can take advantage of. So we're pretty proud of it. And, and in fact, even some third parties uh, use it as well to get a better understanding for the state of our content. And so, yeah, we're, we're constantly evaluating that. We've been rolling out some uh, recent capabilities. Uh, you know, we, we constantly researching deep learning techniques and some of the newer approaches, you know, as someone who comes from that field, it's really amazing to see all of the, the rapid growth in things like natural language processing and, and search and discovery related tools and, and classification and kind of that, you know, that whole buzzword category of AI. And, and so, yeah, we have, we have a, a good chunk of staff who are focused on those problems. We also partner with people who, you know, we think share values and, and who can provide functionality to the community that helps them do their job better. So for instance, we have some tools that help editors in lesser served languages bring in content 
maybe that's not the right way of saying that, but in, in some of the newer communities where there's maybe not as many contributors, we, we have yeah. tools that help them translate English articles into their target language. But of course, again, you know, that theme reviewed by the community, reviewed by humans who make the final decision. Right. So, you know, yeah, we're, we're, I would say on the cutting edge of a lot of these things, we've also been investing a lot. The community has been investing a lot in structured data repositories and image data. And, you know, again, those bring a whole host of AI challenges as well. So, you know, we have researchers on staff, for instance, focused on computer vision. Uh, We have researchers and data scientists focused on natural language processing on structured data, you know, kind of all the bits that go into powering what many other people are, are building on top of us. Yeah. Let's get into data because for those people who don't know, for listeners who don't know, what is Wikidata? Because this is a really cool thing that I don't know if a lot of people necessarily kind of know the, the, the depth and the scope of, uh, of this project. Yeah, Ian, that's a great question. And, and my background and bias is really going to shine through here because this is, this is an area I, I really love and gets me really excited about the, the opportunity going forward. So, yeah, Wikidata is a relatively new project infrastructure for capturing and sharing structured data. And so by that, what I mean is structured data would be like just little snippets of things that say, you know, this person is this, right? You know, Barack Obama is president. And, and there's a very, you know, if, if you study data structures and algorithms, there's some very specific ways of building and storing these kinds of repositories of knowledge. And so you can kind of think of them as just little bite-sized facts. And, and then so we go out and crowdsource all of those to create this repository. And in fact, then the community has done a really interesting thing in that they, they're now translating those facts across lots of different languages. And so you can kind of think about it as having this giant map of concepts and facts that are multilingual, right? And so I'm, I'm sure your, your, your gears are ticking there because that then un- unlocks this ability to start to pivot through language to start to help build cross-language tools. It allows us, I think, to do some really interesting things in the community and, and downstream, whereby, you know, in many ways I think about it as it's, it's like the connective tissue between other knowledge stores, right? And because now you can start to automatically link. I, I could say this article in English Wikipedia is related to this article in German Wikipedia or over here in our image repository, these pictures are also related because they all share this, this little pivot, this little piece of, of data that the community has built and then tagged across these other sources. And if, you know, what gets me really excited about that then is as you look to the future of where, at least in my opinion, where some of this is going, I think there's this real opportunity we have kind of coming full circle back to those disinformation campaigns and other things is like, how do we help people find and explore the full space of knowledge? How do we help them have a more complete understanding of a particular topic, right? You know, a lot of times our readers are coming in and getting these little snackable pieces of information. And so what if we could then link them to other things, show them the possibility of, hey, you started at this particular fact or this particular article, but here's all the other things that you didn't know about this thing that are related. And 
and kind of take them down the rabbit hole, if you will, to a, to a broader and deeper understanding. That fascinates me because like so much of my life and career, like I, I've thought about those kinds of problems. And, and again, kind of going back to your question of what gets me excited, that's why I joined because there's, there's these opportunities to really have that kind of huge impact, I think. I agree. I mean, I think, uh, I think it is really exciting. And I think it's something that, you know, way in the way back machine of IT visionaries, I think 140 episodes ago or something like that, 130 episodes ago, we talked uh, with a startup that was helping, helping people with, with like human resources challenges with hiring challenges. And was we we're talking about this idea that like where do startups have advantages versus large companies and kind of the idea of data where as a startup, you don't have large data sets that you can use because you just don't have enough. Whereas as a big company, you might have a ton of data, but it's not structured in the right way or you don't you can't necessarily take insights from it. Or maybe you can take some, but not enough. But I think something like Wikidata and you can uh, kind of expand on this, the idea that the data is under the Creative Commons and that you could leverage this to learn about, you know, your business or your customers or the market in a way is really exciting because it's a great source of data that you wouldn't necessarily have access to, uh, you know, on, on your own channels. Um, curious to your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think I think that's so true. And you know, the you know, we have this human in the loop element. It, it, it's funny, Ian. Or I think one of my first jobs out of college. I'm going to date myself here, but back around 1998, 99, I used to work for this tiny uh, natural language processing startup, working on uh, what's called cross language search. The model then was we took this English structured data set that we have that's called WordNet still exists. And then we had translators from all these different languages come in and translate these concepts, these synonyms, if you will, and, and related items into their languages. And then we used that as the core of how we pivoted through the languages. So as an English speaker, I could search Japanese by pivoting through this data set. That was 20 some years ago. And we spent a lot of time and effort trying to build a model of that, that is tiny in comparison to what Wikidata has done in just, you know, five short years. And so if I think about like what this can unlock for future generations, I know how much we put into that effort way back when, and to then now have this crowdsource model that then can come in and unlock all these next generations of applications. That to me is incredibly exciting because you know, there's just so many good ideas out there. And I think in many ways, this community and, and then, of course, the foundation, which helps service that community, uh, is, is just doing this incredible service for, for the rest of humanity. So what would, you, what would you recommend if you're, you know, a CTO or a CIO listening, you know, for ways to engage with whether it's Wikidata or, or, uh, or any, of the, any of the properties under the foundation? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you, you got to start first with the community and understanding the community and understanding what the community cares about. You can't just kind of come over the top and say, hey, I'm a corporation. I've got a bunch of money I can throw at this problem. I mean, as a foundation, as a community, we, we know we need money to run the servers. And, you know, of course, donations are welcome. 
but you know, it's not something you just kind of can come in uh, heavy handed on you. You've got to work with it. Uh, the data is of course there for people to go and use, download it. We provide dumps of the data in a lot of different formats. We even have a, a cloud services toolkit that people can come in and write their own code and we'll run it for you, right? If you want to play around with our, our databases, our search engine, you want to do some analytics on our data sets, we give out resources for you to do that. In fact, there's a very robust community software development model here, ranging from people giving us contributions via open source to our core pieces like MediaWiki, but then also there's this whole pretty vast bot network. And that was one of the most surprising things coming in here is we actually, you know, have a whole virtualized environment where people come in and write bots that help them do their jobs. I believe the, the latest stat I heard is something like 40% of edits on the wikis are done by bots that were written by community members. And that to me is amazing this ability to crowdsource not just the content, but also the, the policing of that content, if you will, the enhancement of that content. Uh, so there's just this awesome network of, of developers, of contributors who can come in and, and help do that. So you can kind of show up as, as yourself and start just dipping your toe in it. Something like Wikidata, like adding a new entry into Wikidata is almost trivial. Getting involved in some of the Wikipedia's you know, providing some of your expertise is a great way. Like I said, you can kind of go downstream from there. We, we work with, uh, and the community works with companies who are leveraging these data to build advanced, you know, like home assistance. And, and you know, I think we've all probably had that experience of asking our, our favorite home assistant, what, you know, what's the capital of Minnesota or something along those lines, right? So a lot of that's powered by Wikipedia and Wikidata. I got to check with uh, with producer David to see who wins the bet of when you would mention Minnesota in the uh, in the podcast. Um, I feel like people from Minnesota are extremely proud of being from Minnesota and always mention it. So I love it. As as a content producer, I you'll notice uh, I do have a lot of Minnesota Easter eggs in all of my content. <laughs> you know, uh, hey mom and dad, love you. Yeah, no, it's uh, it is a source of pride. I think it's probably because it's so cold up there that <laughs> we have to show how tough we are uh, by giving a shout out anytime we can. I love it. To kind of close uh, some of the some of the Wikimedia Foundation piece, you know, you've mentioned in the past that CTOs have three C's to focus on: customers, conferences, and code. How did you kind of look at those uh, when you entered Wikimedia Foundation, and uh, where did that where did that kind of framework come from in the first place? Yeah, I mean, that, that was something I think I developed at my prior company. It's actually evolved uh, uh, over the years. I mean, there's a huge people component to this role as well. I think in my early days of talking about this, you know, I kind of just talked about code and perhaps the engineers who developed the code almost synonymously. So these days I would probably add, a, add, add the people side onto that, which of course then leads to the acronym CCCP, which, you know, <laughs> depending on the listener, you know, that, that yeah. may, may bring some flashbacks to the eighties and, and all that. But, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, especially in my prior role, I spent a lot of time out on the road talking to customers as a founder of a company, being the technical co-founder, you spend a lot of time evangelizing, going to conferences, et cetera. Uh, you know, for, for us, you know, you probably could replace 
customers with community. Uh, that still yep. fits nicely into the framework. And, and like I said, I think the code part of it really has evolved to, you know, the code and the people that go into to building that code, right? So, you know, no code gets written without people uh, typing it in and understanding the nuance and the business goals and all of that. And then, you know, conferences, you know, at the end of the day, like, you got to tell your story. And, you know, a place like this has some really amazing stories, both at the technical end, as well as the the broader open knowledge side of it. And so conferences is a, is a stand in for that evangelism side of it, that telling of the story side of it. And, and that's something I, I personally enjoy. It's something I had to learn. It was definitely a skill set that as it got, I got better at it, it helped me move up the ladder, if you will. Uh, so for any of the listeners out there wondering how do you get to be a CTO? I mean, I think that's, that's a part of it too, is you got to learn how to communicate. You got to learn how to share ideas. You got to learn how to work with folks who aren't always technical and, and meet them where they are and, and, and be willing to take inputs that aren't always based off of, you know, bullying expressions or, or like code loops or yeah. whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things about, you know, Wikimedia foundation is because, it is such a global company and you serve, you know, so many different languages and so many different things like that idea of community or customers or the people that you're serving is so huge. And, you know, we have, we have listeners in, in over, you know, 130 countries that listen to this show. And I think it's just really exciting that you can plug in anywhere from anywhere and get started really quickly to be part of it. And I think, uh, you know, as a CTO who has a responsibility like that, you know, it could potentially feel kind of overwhelming to have, you know, the, uh, the weight of the world, uh, on your shoulders with such a big, big footprint there, but what, a, what a position to be in, to be able to, you know, help developers in, in this way and have access to stuff that they would never have. And you even have a podcast where you talk about, developers and uh, and career pathing and all of that had to had to give you a plug uh, for uh, for your podcast developmenter which I know you're you're loath to talk about but I, I would love to hear just why you started that yeah that's a, a little side project I started a while ago uh, I, and, and I think you know to kind of the open of your question I mean I will say it's truly humbling at the end of the day the sheer scope and size of what you know, started off as this uh, idea by Jimmy Wales to to crowdsource knowledge. You know, and, and I will also say there, and I'll, I'll get to your question for sure, but we still have a lot of work to do. And so as your listeners who are in those 130, 140 countries, as you mentioned, you know, think about where you can go contribute your to your local Wikipedia or Wikidata, right? Like we're constantly looking for volunteers because they are the lifeblood of of what we do and, and we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we make sure we deliver knowledge in an equitable way, right? How do we make sure, you know, at the end of the day, the mission is that, you know, everyone in the world should have access to the sum of all knowledge and they should be able to do that freely. That is something, you know, I think about it as just absolutely humbling, absolutely daunting, obviously something you, you never can complete, but nonetheless, we should try because I know in my own career, it's been, such a difference maker of being fortunate enough to have parents who care, teachers who care, people who care, who, who are like, hey, Grant, you should learn this. You should spend time on this. You should get educated. And not just in the formal ways, 
but in the, the informal ways, the self-taught ways, right? And I think that kind of feeds then into to actually answering your question, Ian, which is, yeah, I, I launched this podcast called Developmentor. It was actually inspired by two really critical people in my life. One is uh, my sister and one is my son. My son is a, is a freshman in college, just started. And as he was digging in on it, you know, he was like, hey, dad, I'm going to go into computer science. So I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I had that little dad pride moment of like my son's following in my footsteps. But, but at the same time, like he, while he's technical, he also has like this art side to him that, you know, I, I can draw stick figures and that's about it. But, but he has this creative side. And I was like, well, hey, son, you know, there's this, there's this role here in, in tech called creative director. And he's, he kind of looked at me, my wife looked at me, he's like, what are you talking about, creative director? That's not a thing. And I'm like, no, it's a thing. It's, it's part code. It's part art. It's part, you know, like prototyping and design. I, it, it kind of fits with who I think you are. I've met a few of them. And he's like, huh. And then we started to look into it. And he's like, yeah, I think that's a fit. And then, so that kind of has helped shape some of his thinking as he's going off into college. And then my my sister was a social work major coming out of college, and she's probably going on 20 years now as a product manager and has been in technical product management for 20 years. And it, she just really highlights to me the fact that like, so often in technology, it gets presented by the press, by, you know, the powers that be that, you know, like writing code is the be all end all. And, you know, and I personally have benefited from that. But, you know, there's so much more to building a company, to building technology than just writing code. There's these human factors, there's user experiences, the product managers, the people writing documentation, the salespeople who are selling it, the marketers who are telling the story. And so all of these kind of came together. This is kind of a long-winded answer to, to me wanting to uh, showcase and highlight those people right? And really present a much more rounded view of technology than just software engineering, which is the world I came from. And, and then last but not least, there's just a selfish component of, I get to meet some really cool people and interview them and just have them tell their story. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're preaching to the choir as a, as a company that makes podcasts to uh, help improve people's uh, lives. So, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I think that, you know, one of the, one of the big reasons that we you know, started the company and, and a lot of these shows is that so many of these conversations like here in the Valley, in Silicon Valley, where, where we're located, where we would have these conversations in the, in the back rooms or in, you know, in a, in a conference room or at a, at a meetup or something like that with exceptional people that were in, just in town for the weekend or whatever it is. And I'm like, man, th these conversations need to be happening, uh, need to be broadcast so that other people can learn from the cutting edge. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. And I feel that, you know, we biography is one of the um, is one of the best ways to learn. And uh, and there's not 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 that many people can uh, can knock out a, uh, you know, their own biography. So this is uh, one step in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, too, like I, I see a real opportunity to show people that there's there's so many different ways and paths. And, you know, tech has a, has a pretty big diversity problem. And, you know, it's something we care a lot about at the foundation and talk a lot about and, and, and work hard at. And as I look at the, both the podcast and the foundation, you know, I, I'm always 
in awe of like finding people who can bring different perspective because they, they really truly highlight things that are the human experience and they show all the different ways you can bring people together. And I think, you know, in many ways, the, you know, Wikipedia and the related wikis also highlight that, right. Is, is how do we make that more equitable? How do we bring in all the voices to the, to the best of our ability and, you know, and again, like with both of these, I, I see a real opportunity to tie these together. So, and then, like I said, there's some just awesome tech underneath all this and, and the geek in me just, you know, gets super excited about that stuff too. So. Well, I have to tie this podcast together. We didn't even get into any lucid work stuff. So we'll have to, we'll have to bring you back and, uh, and get some of the origin story on that um, and talk, talk more about search and all of that. But in the interest of time, we got to get into the lightning round. So these questions are fast and easy, just like the Salesforce customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You can go to salesforce.com slash platform to learn more about the Salesforce customer 360 platform. Lightning round questions. Grant, are you ready? Uh, I'm, I'm like super nervous now, Ian. I mean, that was, that was amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Uh, I always hate to admit it, but I'm a, I'm a Reddit addict. Probably because they were actually tying back to LucidWorks. They, they uh, were a customer. They are a customer of LucidWorks. And, and uh, I think ever since then, I've, I've been a bit of a Reddit addict. So, Favorite Wikipedia page? Oh, wow. Uh, they're all, you know, like that's like trying to pick a, a favorite child, right? I love the random page of the day. So that's a total cop-out answer, but uh, there's something every day I, I learn and pick up just by looking at the, the page of the day. So I would encourage people, especially on your phone, you get the app, uh, which is what I should have answered for my favorite app. I apologize in advance, but uh, get the app. And uh, uh, that you, you could take that little bit and then spend hours just like navigating through. Yeah, I uh, I think we all thoroughly enjoyed the the Wikipedia binge uh, when you you get you get rolling on uh, you go to one page and then you click through and an hour and a half later you're like it's like the scene in the Matrix where Neo's like I know kung fu you know he's just got like hours and hours of you're like I just went through four different grades of grade school just in the past hour and a half <laughs> that's fantastic I love it um, favorite thing to cook or eat. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, I tend to be, uh, I really love curries. Uh, my wife and I uh, definitely seek out good curry. Definitely like sushi as well. So, I, you know, there's so, there's so many good foods out there. But, uh, yeah, I would probably have to say a, a good curry. Best advice for a first-time CTO? You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's about the people. Um, you know, everything else will, will be okay. Right. Like, like really digging and focus on the people, the code will get worked out. The, the, the people, if you're, if you're not taking care of there to hire good people, to nurture them, to share with them, then, then why are you doing it? Right. 
And I, I think many of us who are technical, we often think code and, and technology first, but it's really about those relationships. And, you know, at the end of the day, like build the, the kind of place that you want to work at. And I think that starts with the people. It's, it's a lesson I actually had to learn in some ways the hard way, right? We had to, I really had to take a step back and think real hard about what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. Uh, and then put yourself out there, you know, just like I said, it'll be okay. <laughs> you know, what question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Oh, wow. Man, you're killing me here. Yeah. These lightning rounds are <laughs> harder than the other ones. <laughs> um, well, you already commented on Minnesota. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the, I, uh, how about this? What's the best, place to visit what's your what's your weekend getaway what should i do if i visit minnesota i never visited minnesota so this would be a first i've heard it's wonderful well it's funny i, I actually live in north carolina now so i'll, I'll do props to I, I i am a minnesotan forever in my heart but i i live in north carolina uh, and my favorite place is is up in Asheville, uh, as well as the outer banks of of north carolina those are probably the two places I probably two of the only places I ever go back to. I love to travel and I love to see new things. And so I, it, again, maybe a little bit of a cop out, but I very rarely like to go back to the same place, you know, at least for, for my own personal vacation time. Grant, that's it. That's all we got. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Any uh, final thoughts, any things to plug? You know, I, I appreciate it. Uh, uh, love the questions. And, uh, you know, it'd be remiss if I didn't remind people, you know, like Wikimedia is supported by donors. One of the coolest facts I learned about when joining here was the average donation size is $15. Those, those uh, banners asking you for three bucks here, five bucks there, do an amazing job. It's a really critical part of how we raise money. It's a Unlike many nonprofit, is it is a small donor model. Uh, large volume of transactions, uh, all geared around having everybody being able to contribute. So uh, I can't stress that enough. I'm in constant awe of all we do, and we have a huge amount of respect for the people who take the time to contribute. So please do contribute. I did contribute in the past. So I get the emails that like, Hey Ian, remember when you contributed? And I'm like, I'm on it this year. Don't, uh, it's, uh, it's great stuff. And I'm, uh, I'm happy to, uh, to, to be a, a small, tiny little part of it. Well, we're going to go update your uh, Wikipedia page to say that you've been on it visionaries and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks Ian. Take care. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.